We are in part four of our series called Different. Um, if you're just joining us, you can catch up there messages that are on our, on our website. Um, but we're looking at the high points from the, from the book of 1 Peter. And, and as you look at the way that Peter wrote the book, um, he was very, very direct. Anybody have somebody in their own life that's very direct with them? Um, sometimes you don't... All, why are you looking at me like that? Um, sometimes we don't always appreciate people's directness, do we? Matter of fact, sometimes we get offended by people's directness. Now, does directness have to mean rude? No. Matter of fact, sometimes the most loving thing we can do is to be direct with people, right? Sometimes I am very direct with my children when I know what they're about to do is going to cause them lots of harm. Hey, don't do that! Anybody ever said that to your kids? Any of you guys ever said that to your kids this morning? Uh, and, and so, like, if my kids are climbing up on the house and are about to jump off the roof Mary Poppins style, right, I should probably try and stop them. And so I'm going to be a little bit more direct. Now, does that mean that I don't love them? No. Matter of fact, I believe it was Paul says, are you going to hate me for telling you the truth? See, sometimes we don't like truth. We like sugar-coated junk, right? That's why Halloween's so popular, because you get sugar-coated junk. But sometimes what's best for us is directness. He said over and over again that this world is not our home. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to be set apart. You are called to be different. You are called to be holy. And today I want to bring to you what I believe is possibly the most encouraging message that you never wanted to hear. Okay, It's probably the most encouraging message that you didn't want to hear. Why? Because Jesus promised us several different things. Let me show you, first of all, what Jesus did not promise us. Okay, Jesus Jesus never promised us that that everyone would, would be happy. Right? Jesus never promised us that it wouldn't rain on your vacation. Jesus never promises that your heart would not get broken by someone you're dating. And Jesus never promises that the plumbing would not back up. Jesus never promised us a lot of things. But what he did promise us is this. If you're a follower of Christ, if you are set apart, if you are different, Jesus promises that, that the world would hate us and that the world would persecute us. Jesus promised that the world would hate us, and that they would persecute us. Listen, and that's why I'd like to welcome you to MFA, where we're here to make you feel good about yourself, right? Wow, what a great message. Everybody's going to hate us, and they're going to persecute us. Thanks, Pastor. Um, Listen, that's why I said it's the most encouraging message that you never wanted to hear. Today I want to talk about a different perspective in the face of persecution. We're going to start with the words of Jesus, and then we're going to dive into the book of 1 Peter. And and this is what Jesus said in, in John 15, verses 18 and 20. Jesus said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, then they will persecute you also. Today we are talking about a different perspective in persecution. 
Now, what I want to do today, in case you weren't here in the previous weeks, is give you a little bit of background on the book of 1 Peter. Now, Peter was writing this book to first century Gentile Christians during a time of extreme persecution. They they were being literally tortured over their faith. They were being tortured by an emperor named Nero. Anybody ever heard of Nero? Um, He was a very, very evil man. I mean, come on. He killed his mother. And I don't know that there's anything more evil than than killing your mom. Um, Probably some of you in here probably wanted to at one time, but hopefully you didn't. Um, But there's nothing more evil than killing your mom. Not only did he kill his mom, but he also killed his first wife. And historians also believe that he killed his second wife. Um, in, in addition to that, he had this insatiable lust to build. And, and so in that time, the, the Roman emperors had to go to the Senate and get permission to build stuff. And, and the Senate wouldn't give him permission to build. And so you know what he did? The historians tell us that they believe that he set fire to Rome that burned for days and days. And then it went out. And then history tells us that he set it again and it burned for a couple more days and burned the entire city down. But then you know what he did? He blamed Christians. He, he the already persecuted, hated followers of Jesus, now, because of this very evil man, faced even more persecution. Right As you fast forward today, and it really depends on the kind of place that you live in. Luckily, here in the United States, persecution is not as extreme as it is in other parts of the world. Like here in the United States, you may be good. Well, well, they may laugh at me. They may not invite me to their party. Maybe I can't go to Thanksgiving dinner because they're all going to laugh at me. They're going to make fun of me. Listen, I hope you understand that if you that if you you close your eyes for any length of time, you're going to see that the persecution of the church is becoming worse and worse. Right? Almost every article around today that talks about persecution um, says that, that persecution is the worst today than it ever has been in history. In fact, the, the statistics are staggering. I want to read them to you. In an average month, right, an average of 30 days, and in an average month, over 300 Christians are killed for their faith in Jesus. On an average month, over 200 churches are burned or completely destroyed. In an average 30-day period, there's close to 800 followers of Christ who have been beaten, tortured, raped, or imprisoned for their faith in Christ. So listen, here we live, the pendulum could swing on how severe it is. In some parts of the world, you may lose a family member. In another part of the world, you may lose a job. In some parts of the world, you may be beaten. And in other parts of the world, you may not get invited to the party because of your faith. All of it is persecution. And Jesus said, if you follow me, the world will hate you. And you will be persecuted. And, and that's why today there will be for many, this will be the most encouraging message that you never, ever wanted to hear. So let's dive into First Peter and look at what he said. He said a lot about the subject, and I pray that it would speak to some people today, inspire your faith, and encourage you to live an even bolder life for the one who gave his up for you. 
It's what it said in 1 Peter 4, verse 12. He said this. He said, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. He's telling these people who are hurting, don't be shocked. Listen, don't be surprised that if if you're living boldly for Jesus, that you're going to face some opposition. If you're living boldly, if you're set apart, if you're different, if you are holy, don't be shocked when you're criticized, when you're ridiculed, or when you face spiritual opposition. Right? Many of you would say, well, well, I can never really think of a time where, where I ever faced any kind of opposition to my faith. And we're going to start there, and we're going to try and understand potentially why that might be. Right? For example, I love soccer. Anybody else in here love soccer? Or, or maybe you love football. Any football fans in here? Um, let, let's say that, that today I'm playing soccer. Okay? So after church, we, we go out back and we're playing soccer. And, and I'm on one team and, and you, you are the opponent. Right? And so we're playing against each other. And, and let's say that you're on the field playing and I'm on the bench. I'm not really in the game. Right? In fact, instead, I've got a water bottle and I'm trying to flip it to get it to land right. Or maybe I'm drawing things in the sand next to me. Maybe I'm playing a game on my phone or on my computer that I've got out there because I know that I'm not going to get any playing time. Or, or, or maybe I'm, you know, taking a selfie and, and posting on Instagram or Snapchat, right? Um, and I'm not doing any of those things that I'm doing. Or maybe I'm, I'm flirting with that cute cheerleader, Tina, that's right over there, right? And I'm like, hey, baby, what's your number? Uh, but the, the, the point is that I'm not paying any attention to the game. If you're my opponent, are you going to be very worried about me? Yes or no? No. Why? Because I'm not in the game. I am not a threat to you. Right? On the other hand, let's say that I am a really good player, and I'm not bottle flipping, I'm not flirting with the cute cheerleader, but I'm on the field, and I'm a threat to score, and I'm doing the best job that I can. Now, all of a sudden, am I a threat to you and your potential to win? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. And so if you're my opponent, what would you do to stop me? Anything possible. Up to even murder. Let's be honest. Sports are that big of a deal, right? Um, No, and, and so you would do anything. Why? Because I am a current threat to what you want done. You're going to do anything you can to stop me. See, I believe that it's true as much about physical things like games as it is about spiritual things. Listen, if you're on Jesus' team, you believe in Christ, but you've been on the bench. In other words, you've got the jersey, but you're not in the game. I mean, you'll come to church every now and then. Why? Because you're a part of the team, and you've got to do just enough so that you can stay on the team. But you're not really engaged with what's going on. You're not praying for miracles. And asking God to do something and and interceding on behalf of others and tapping boldly into the power of God and going before his throne of grace, believing that he would help people in their time of need. You've got gifts and talents, but you're not using them to further the kingdom. You you could make a difference and you know it, but, but you let somebody else play instead of you. 
you're not giving generously. You may tip here and there, um, but you're not strategically, prayerfully asking how I can use what God has given me, my, my time, my talent, and my resources to influence others and to be generous and to make a difference in the world. Right? You believe in Jesus, but you're not representing him boldly. You haven't invited anybody to church, and you're not sharing your faith. Right? You've got the jersey on, but you're not in the game. The same is true in that example that your enemy takes no notice of you. The moment, though, that you engage, you have a spiritual enemy that takes notice and begins opposition in your life. Right? The most encouraging message you didn't want to hear. Right? Imagine a warrior or a soldier that enlisted a battle going into war and coming back to his commanding officer and saying, Sir, they're shooting at me. And the commanding officer would be like, Hey, moron, what did you think was going to happen? It's war. Listen, we've got to understand that Christianity is not a playground. Right? It's a battleground. We are at war against the forces of darkness, and and we are in a very real spiritual battle. Listen, when you engage in the battle, you're going to face opposition. Remember a story of D.L. Moody, um, theologian. He was teaching college, and and, uh, he had this student, had him a freshman year, and then at the end of his senior year, the student came back to D.L. Moody and, and said, uh, Pastor Moody, I, man, I, I'm so thankful for you. My time here at this school has been incredible. Can I tell you, since I started coming here, the enemy has just left me alone. He knows the power and the authority that I walk in, and he just doesn't mess with me. And D.L. Moody looked at him and said, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. Because if the enemy's leaving you alone, it means that you're no longer a threat to him. See, and I believe for too many of us, we've been sitting on the sidelines for too long, and we're no longer a concern to the enemy. Listen, if you've never faced any sense of, of real spiritual opposition, maybe it's because you're not on the front lines engaging in the battle in the way that God would want you to do so. That's why Peter said, he said, hey, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're facing. Right? Here's the thing. Now, when Peter says fiery trials, I believe that he was actually being literal here. Um, You remember Nero, right? The evil guy that we were talking about. Um, I believe that that Peter used that word here because the the Christians at the time would understand. If you guys remember from the message a few weeks ago, we talked about Nero and how he would grab Christians up and he'd dip them in hot wax and tie them to trees or tie them to a stake and then would light them on fire and throw parties around it. Peter said, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're facing. Right? It it meant something to the Christians at this time. He said, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're facing as if something strange were happening to you today. Listen, if Peter were writing this message in the year that we live, he would probably adjust the way he'd say it. Maybe, perhaps he would be writing to someone in the Middle East and he would say, don't be surprised if you lose a loved one because of their love and their faith in Christ. If he was writing to a new Christian in a predominantly Muslim country, he'd maybe say, don't be surprised if your family turns on you and you face extreme danger because of your faith in Christ. 
If you were talking to a freshman girl at the university, he might say, don't be surprised if you don't get a second date because of your stance on purity. Right At Thanksgiving, don't be surprised if people make fun of you because you're following Jesus and you're engaged in the church. Don't be surprised, Peter said, at the fiery trials that you are facing. Why? Because you're in the game. Right? You're on the front lines. You're making a difference and you're rattling the darkness of hell. Don't be surprised when you face opposition. Then he says this, the most encouraging message you didn't want to hear. He said instead in verse 12, Be glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. And is that different or what? Be glad? Are you kidding me, Peter? Be glad? Do you not know that I could die? Yes, he said, be thankful when you're persecuted for your faith. Why? Not so that everybody can sit around and go, ooh, look at you, you're so great. Let's worship you. No, it's because when you face trials and persecution, you'll be partners with Christ in his suffering so that you'll have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Right? Why, why is it that so many of us would say, well, I never really experienced anything like this. Listen, I don't think it's necessarily your fault. I think the culture is so convincing that the most important thing for any of us is the pursuit of comfort, right? We like comfort, don't we? Even in church, we like comfort. Anybody remember a time when you had wooden pews with no padding? I am thankful that we don't have those anymore, right? Because if a preacher's long-winded like I sometimes are, you'd get up at the end of an hour or two and you'd have to shake it out a little bit. And can I tell you, I'm thankful for padded chairs. But I think in our pursuit of the American dream, we've also pursued comfort to the extreme. Right? Listen... And I'll just be honest with you. I'd rather have a nice conversation with you than to have a confrontation with you. Anybody else? I hate confrontation. You want to know why I hate confrontation? Because it makes me uncomfortable. Because I'm afraid that you'll take whatever I say in the midst of confrontation and use my words against me. Or I'm afraid that I may say something and it might hurt your feelings. And you might get mad and go around and tell everybody, well, pastor's the meanest person I know. I can't believe, he, I can't believe that he would tell me that I can't be out having sex with a hundred different people on Saturday night and then showing up here at church. Right? I use the extremes so nobody thought I was picking on them. Uh, but we don't like it when people confront us, do we? Confronting has this thing that, that, that seems like fighting. And unless you're sick and twisted, you don't like to fight. Well, pastor, we fight so we can make up. You're sick and twisted. Just love each other and then go make love to each other. It's okay. Right? If you're married. Let me say that. Listen, you, you don't have to want to fight. But I think too often in our pursuit of comfort, we don't want to say the things that people need to hear. 
let's be honest, comfort something that we'll pursue at all costs, won't we? Is anybody driving a vehicle from the 1950s? Or how about anybody still driving a Model T? Right? Why? Because number one, they went like 15, 30 miles an hour. That's way too slow. Number two, they are not comfortable. They look nice if you've got one that's restored, but they're not comfortable. When, when you go buy a, a new car, what do you do? You drive it around to make sure it's comfortable. If you're 6'6", like me, you want to make sure that when you're driving it, your knees aren't up in your, in your face or in your chest, right? You want to make sure that you've got room. You want to make sure that... Can I just tell you, I love heated seats in the middle of winter. I don't have a car that's got heated seats. I wish I did, but, but can I tell you, my next car that I buy will have heated seats. And then now, did you know that they've got air-conditioned seats? Come on. If that ain't comfort, I don't know what is. Right? The next thing I need in a car, and I don't know if any of you guys work in the car industry, but I need you to, to make me a car that'll make me coffee while I'm going. Whoo! Right? We want comfort. And, and we pray for comfort, don't we? God, help me have a good day today. God, help nobody make me mad. Instead of praying, God, help me not get mad at other people, Right? Lord, please don't let so-and-so say something to me. Because if they do, I know I love you, Jesus, but I might have to say something back. Right? Or, or we pray over our kids. God, keep our kids safe. Can I tell you, we should pray that God keeps our kids safe, right? When you're traveling, God, grant us a hedge of protection. I don't even know what a hedge of protection is, but I want it, right? We, we want comfort. But essentially what we want is we want to avoid all kinds of conflict at all costs, Right? Let's dodge any kind of opposition that we may face. And therefore, we're going to take the path of least resistance. Because we don't like discomfort. You want to know why most people don't work out? Because it hurts. Anybody ever started to work out before? And like day number one, you're like, yes, this is awesome. Day number two, you're like, all right, cool, do some squats. I got this. And then day number three, you wake up and you're. And then what do you do? I'm too sore to go to the gym today. It hurts too much. Ow! Right? And so what do you do? You give up on it. Why? Because it made you uncomfortable. We've pursued comfort over God. Listen to me, I believe that too many Christians have pursued comfort over God. So how does this play out in the real life? Right? Maybe you're at a party and, and you kind of give in and you smoke or you drink whatever it is that they're smoking or drinking. Why? Because you don't want anybody to make fun of you. Right? It's, it's not that big of a deal. So, so you're just going to do it a little bit so that you can fit in. Right? Maybe it's that you don't correct someone when they tell a racist or a sexist joke. Right? You know it's wrong, but, it, but if you say something, it's going to make people uncomfortable. And so you don't say anything. Maybe it's if someone asks you, are, are you a follower of Christ? And you say yes, but you'd rather not just come out and lead with it because at your workplace, you don't want people making fun of you. You don't want to be that guy that they talk about and make fun of. Right? And there we are once again pursuing comfort. 
In fact, what I want to do is I want to show you a couple of cycles. If you guys will put up that slide. I want you to think about these two cycles, and you've got it there in your outline as well. And ask yourself, which one represents your life the most this past week? Let me show you the first one. And it looks like this. This would be kind of what culture says. Right above all else, we're going to pursue comfort. Right? We want to be happy. And so when we pursue comfort, then that forces us in many ways to avoid opposition. Right? But the problem is that when we avoid opposition, our faith, it just seems to weaken. Right? We're not standing for anything. We're not passionate about anything. And and our faith, for some reason, we just don't feel so close to Christ. And then we wake up one day and we feel very, very empty. Right? Life feels empty. And so there's got to be something more, right? So what do I do? Well, now I'm going to pursue more comfort. Right? And maybe it'll be this thing or that place or, or that new car or that new house or that new job. Right? Maybe it's that relationship. Whatever it is, maybe that will fill the void that's inside of me. Right? So we, we pursue comfort. We avoid anything that's difficult. And why don't I feel close to Christ? I need to have something else out there that's going to make me happy. Right? And, and so we pursue this over and over again and it becomes a cycle. That never ends. Listen, there's got to be another way to live, right? But let me warn you, you've got to be different. And the only way that you'll live like this is when you recognize that you're a stranger in this world. Right? You're a stranger, you're a pilgrim, you're a sojourner. These are all words that Peter used. You're just passing through, but, but you actually come from a heavenly kingdom. And you serve a king that is not from this world. And his standards are very, very, very different than the standards of this world. He teaches us to love people who hate us. He teaches us to give even when people take advantage of you. He teaches you to turn the other cheek. He teaches you that if someone asks you for your shirt, then to give them your coat. I mean, his teachings are completely and totally different from the world, isn't it? And you see, this is where this different cycle begins to look. Listen, when you're instead living boldly for Christ, you're standing up for, you're sharing him, you're expressing his love. Suddenly, when you live boldly, guess what you do? You begin to face opposition. You begin to face opposition. Right? You remember I said this is the most encouraging message you never wanted to hear. Why? Because you're in the game. You're making a difference. You're doing something about getting people out of hell into heaven. Right? And you're making a difference. But the strange thing is that when you face opposition, your faith is strengthened. Right? There's something about it that when you're living by faith, when you're on the edge, when you're comfortably uncomfortable, meaning that you're living by faith and not by sight, that one day you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so much closer to Christ. How did this happen? Right? His word is alive in me. He guides me daily. And suddenly you find yourself living even more boldly for him than you did before. 
Right? Leave them up there for just a moment. I want you to look at it again and ask yourself, which cycle best represents your life this past week? Were you comfortable avoiding any kind of opposition? Right? Kind of not really close to Jesus, empty life, pursuing comfort, or instead were you living boldly? Were you facing some opposition? Were you going through and realizing that I'm closer to God because of my obedience? And it serves you even more to share your faith. Which one would you say represents you this past week? Right? The most encouraging message that you didn't want to hear, that when you're different from the world, they will not always like you, but these trials will make you partners with Christ. 1 Peter 4, 9 is probably my favorite verse in, in all of this book. And this is what Peter says. He says, so if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, what does he say? He says, keep on doing what is right. So if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to God who created you because he will never, ever fail you. Keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to the God who created you because he will never, ever fail you. Can I tell you one of the driving principles in my life? Here it is. The principle that I try to live by is that, and and can I just tell you, I don't always get it right, but I I pray it it speaks to somebody this morning. The, The principle is this. In, in every area of your life, in your, your family, your finances, in your relationships, in your work, whether, whenever you're peer pressured, any area of your life, do what's right and trust God with the results. Right? Isn't that good? I'm going to speak it again. Do what's right and trust God for the results. Listen, it's never wrong to do what's right. But have you noticed that it's never easy to do what's right either? Sometimes it is. But a lot of times it's hard to do what's right. Listen, what do you do? How do you, how do you live? Listen, we as followers of Jesus have to do what's right. And then when we do what's right, we've got to trust God with the results. Listen, we don't cut corners. We don't take shortcuts. We don't try to do what we think will get to the end results faster. We do what's right and we trust God for the results. Listen, if, if we have to have a hard conversation, then you know what we do? We have the hard conversation. If we have to confess something, then we confess it. We have to stand up and say, sorry, I can't do that, even though it may, might cost me to stand up and say, I won't do that, even if it costs me. Listen, as Jesus followers, what we do is what is right. And we have to trust God for the results. Listen, as long as you're suffering for doing something good, keep on doing it and trust that God will never, ever leave you. And God will never, ever fail you. So what do we do? We're different, right? We do what is right. And we trust God for the results. Listen, there are times in life when it'd be easier to to take shortcuts, wouldn't it? Anybody here a big fan of cookies? Can I tell you, there's nothing I love more than some homemade cookies and some fresh cold milk. 
well, not so fresh that I get it somewhere other than the store, right? But, but a fresh carton of milk and, and some nice, warm, no, forget warm, hot homemade cookies, chocolate chip, right? That when you tear it apart, like the chocolate's all... Anybody love cookies? But you know the problem with homemade cookies? They take forever to make. Right? So you know what's great? They got break and bake. Anybody ever use break and bake cookies? Now, they're still good, but they're not as good, are they? But they're decent. And if you eat enough of them and drink enough milk, they taste the same, right? No. But why do we do it? Because I can have cookies in 16 minutes instead of an hour and a half. But you know what? If I'm really in a hurry, you know what I'm just going to do? I'm going to run down to HEB, and I'm going to get me a pack of of chocolate chip cookies, right? Not like the store brand, but like, you know, Chips Ahoy, the good stuff, the ones in the blue container. You know what I'm talking about? The ones that your parents used to only buy on special occasions. Um, And you grab those. And can I tell you, they're not nearly as good. By the way, can I just tell you something kind of weird about me and, and, and my family? Um, how many of you guys dip your cookies in milk? Anybody do that? I, I'm going to give you guys a shortcut. You guys ready for it? Y'all are going to thank me for it. I'm about to revolutionize your life. Instead of taking your cookies and dipping them in milk, stack the cookies in the cup before you put milk in it, then pour milk in over the top, and then use a spoon to eat the soaked-in cookies. Oh, come on. Get in my belly. But can I tell you, those cookies, no matter how good they are, are a cheap imitation of the real thing. But why do we settle for it? Because it takes less time. It's not as hard. Well, pastor, I can't do that. It's hard. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, pastor, I can't come to a prayer service on Tuesday nights because I just can't pray that long. Can, can I just tell you, neither could the disciples. Remember in the garden, Jesus came back and woke them fools up like three times, being like, why are you sleeping? Stand up and pray. But why do we not do it? Because it's hard. Listen, if you never do anything in life because it's hard, you're never going to do anything. It's hard is a dumb excuse. But what do we do? We do what's right, and we trust God for the results. Listen, if you're like this world... Listen, the world will love you. If you do the things of the world the way the world says, the world's going to love you. They're going to think you're great. They're going to wrap you up in your arms and give you a big old bear hug and tell you how great you are. But the minute that you decide to be different, the minute you decide to do things differently, right? if you follow Jesus, all of a sudden you're not going to be like the world. Listen, if you're different, you're not going to raise your kids like the world tells you to raise your kids, right? You're not going to use your money the way that the world does. You're going to have different morals from the world. You're going to have different values from the world. You're going to have different types of conversations than the world. You're going to be different at work than the world. You're going to have different relationship with your spouse than the world. Listen, if you're not like the world, guess what? The world is going to hate you at times. Isn't that fun? Listen, it's not fun, but, but the odd thing is, it does something to you. 
and you recognize that I'm a follower of Christ. And it builds some kind of boldness in you and it makes a difference. Listen, sometimes I've had people ask me, "Um, it looks like persecution is coming to our part of the world. What are we going to do? Are you scared, pastor? Can I tell you the answer is no. I'm not. You want to know why? Because Christianity has done really well under persecution. It has. Look back throughout history, and some of the most persecuted times was the times that the church began to flourish. Look in the first century here with Peter. You see the evil emperor Nero who was persecuting the church, persecuting the church, persecuting the church, and what happened? All of a sudden, the church spread throughout the entire world. So am I worried that they may come persecute me? No, come on. You want to know why? Because it makes the church stronger. I think back to 9-11. Anybody remember 9-11? I was sitting in Darrington Prison, um, not in it as an as a inmate, um, but as going through correctional officer training. And I, I remember that day um, like it was yesterday. For, for my generation, that was it. For some of you guys, you remember when the Challenger blew up, or you remember where you were when, uh, when JFK w- was killed. And so there are these moments that define in our lives. And can I tell you, on the... Sunday after 9-11, church was filled. You want to know why? Because all of a sudden the faith was being persecuted a bit. And what did people do? They cried out to God, God, we need you. And you know what happened for about four to six weeks? Church was full. Then at about week number eight, what happened? We tried to go back to our normal lives, right? The way we win is not letting it affect us. You guys remember those words? And so what happened? We shrank back and became comfortable. Listen, can I tell you, getting up on a Sunday morning, especially when it's cold like it is right now, is hard to get out and come to church. There are some Sundays I'd just rather stay in my bed underneath my covers. But you know what? I don't. Things in life that we want that are worthwhile often cost us a lot. What happens is when there's a little bit of persecution, all of a sudden we've got some stake in the game. Right? All of a sudden now if there's persecution, we have to decide whether or not we want to do this thing. I want you to look at this slide one more time. Which slide best represents you? Look, I'm not talking about the one that you want it to be. I want you to be really, really honest with yourself. Right? Because if you can't be honest with yourself, who can you be honest with? Which one truly represents who you are? Listen, we're going to talk about that this week in life groups. Because if you're like most people, then life is about you, your comfort, and what I can get out of it, right? We, we avoid opposition. Your faith is weak. Your life is empty. And so you're on this continual pursuit of something that's going to matter. Or are you the one that, that, that has died to yourself and Christ is living boldly through you? And sure, you face some opposition, but, but your faith is strong and you're closer to Christ than you've ever been before and it continues to build your faith. Which one represents you? You see, this is what Peter was saying 
as wrapping this up, and I love the fact that, that he's speaking to people that are really, really grieving in persecution. And watch what he says. He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, our God will lift you up in honor. Now watch what Peter says. He says, give your worries and your cares to God. Because God cares about you. So I want to pause for a moment and recognize that there are a lot of people in this room that are hurting right now. Right? We're facing stuff with people that we love that are close to us, right? It keeps us awake praying at night. We're not getting rest. Why? Because there's a lot of pain in this world, isn't there? And there's a lot of pain in this room And this is what Peter said. He's saying to the people whose lives were at risk. He said, give your cares. Another version says, cast your cares. The word in the Greek here, um, it literally is a fishing term like the fishermen would cast their nets in the water. He says, cast your cares on God. Why? Because he cares for you. Cast your cares on God because he cares for you. Listen, if you're living differently, if you're being bold for Christ, you might face spiritual opposition. And it might come in the form of persecution. It may be in some other way. And then what do you do? You let it build your faith. You cast your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares about you. And then this is how Peter finishes up his letter. He says this, and he says it so beautifully. He says, after you have suffered for a little while, this is what our God will do. For those of you that are suffering, after you suffered for a little while, our God will restore He will support, he will strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. Listen, after you've suffered for a little while, what will our God do? He'll restore you. He'll support you. He'll strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. Listen, hear the word of God. After you suffered for a little while, Listen, just because you're suffering doesn't mean you're not following Jesus. See, the enemy would come and say, where is your God now? Listen, after you've suffered for a little while, what will our God do? He'll restore you. He will support you. He will strengthen you when you are weak. Listen, his strength is made perfect and he will put you on a firm foundation. The rock, his son, Jesus Christ. Listen, if you continue to do what's right and you trust him, you will see the faithfulness of God. He will reveal himself to you and he will never fail you. He will never let you down. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Listen, that is our God. He's good. He's praiseworthy. He's worthy of all of our honor. Right? And that's why we don't serve the customs of this world. Because we're set apart. Listen, God has called you to be different. To be holy as he is holy. And when you are, don't be surprised when your friends and your family don't understand. But you continue to do what is right and trust God for the results. 
And after you've suffered for a little while, God will restore, support, and strengthen you, placing you on a firm foundation. Therefore, all praise belongs to God. Father, we thank you for your goodness. God, empower us to live boldly for your son, Jesus. God, we want to make much of you. As you continue to pray, nobody looking around. There are those of you who would say, I've been too comfortable. I want to tell you right now as your pastor, I am convicted by God's word this morning. I'm living too comfortably and I want to live more boldly. Listen, there are those of you who are followers of Jesus and you say, bring it on. Whatever happens, I refuse to be in the bench. I will be in the game. I'm going to be on the front lines. I'm going to be serving in my church. I'm, I'm giving generously. I want to be obedient to the voice of God. Listen, I'm going to get in there. I'm not just going to watch because I am a follower of Christ. Right? And so your prayer is this. Help me live more boldly. If that's you, I want you to just lift your hand right where you are. Father, I pray that you stir us up. God, stir us up. Holy Spirit, fall on your church that we would be obedient. God, we trust you with the outcome, realizing that obedience is our responsibility. God, empower us to do what is right and to trust you with the results. Listen, if we're laughed at, if we're persecuted, help us to continue to show the love of Jesus, to let our light shine in the darkness. God, stir us up, God, that we would be even more bolder for you. you continue to pray nobody looking around some of you are going to realize that that maybe you've grown up in church like I did and and maybe you've realized now that you're not really following Jesus that may be you you kind of believe in him but you've never really been in the game you're not following Jesus actively others of you might you may look like you're really far from God and other people go, you're not a religious person at all, but there's something happening in you right now. You're being drawn towards God. Other people go, you, you, you're not, you're, you're being drawn to God. And this morning, this morning is an opportunity for you. Right? You're here this morning because God loves you. And guess what? In time, that's what we do. We recognize that we're sinners. We recognize that we've messed up. Listen, we've all fallen short of God's perfect standard. So what do we do? We call on Jesus. But who is Jesus? Jesus is the perfect Son of God. He's perfect in every way. He was obedient even to death on the cross. He died in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. He was risen by God, His power from the dead, so that anyone, and this includes you, no matter where you are or what you've done, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, there are those of you this morning that recognize I need His grace. I need His salvation. I'm not following Him. I turn from my sins. I turn towards Jesus. And I say, Jesus, today I give you my life. All of you who would say, I need Him. I call on Him. Jesus, take Him. I give my life to you. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right where you are. I see your hand right here in the middle. Anybody else over here? I see you on the left. Anyone else this morning, you'd say you give your life to Him. Others today say, Jesus, I, I, I surrender myself to you. If that's you, raise your hand right where you are. I see you. 
anyone else. Everybody pray out loud with me. Pray, Heavenly Father, my life is not my own. I ask you to save me, to change me, forgive me, and make me new. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name, amen.